Sunday. So please mark that date if you can. Super. But today we are starting a new series in the book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians. If you're new to the church, you don't know where Philippians is or what it is, uh, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, or you can look on your gadgets. But I want to encourage you to keep having the good old paper Bible. Um, or I guess you can flip through pages on your, on your device. Um, but what we're doing is we're going to take four weeks to preach through the book of Philippians, doing a chapter each week. There are various ways you can preach through the Bible. You can take topics and themes and see what the whole Bible says about it. You can go verse by verse through a book of the Bible and many others. We're going to kind of look at a major theme through the book of Philippians, which is joy. Can you say joy? joy. Come on, say it with a smile. Joy. Um, it's a theme that goes through the whole book, and we're going to unpack one chapter at a time. There will be crossover each week between the chapters. That's good for you. Paul says in the Bible, hey, it's okay that I repeat myself because it's good for you, which is basically a preacher's disclaimer for saying, if you've heard it before, it's okay. It'll, it'll do you good. Um, any other preachers out there use that one? Yes, or, all the time. And then I trust we'll have communion at the end. Uh, so Philippians is a letter written by an early Christian leader called Paul. He was anti-Christian, anti-Christ, and he persecuted Christians, oversaw their death, but then he met with Jesus and was totally transformed, and he would have sung the truths that we've sung today about what is free to be broken, free from chains and things. And then he spends his life really telling people about Jesus. And Philippians is a church that he planted, first church in Europe. Uh, he got arrested there. Um, for casting out a demon from a fortune-telling slave girl. Um, but he didn't get really arrested for casting out the demon. He got arrested for stopping the income that came with the fortune-telling of that. Uh, and he was imprisoned there. And if you know your Bible, you can read about it. In Acts chapter 16, he was imprisoned with someone called Silas. Uh, in the middle of the night, they're worshipping in prison, singing hymns, and God miraculously opens the doors, doesn't quite... They don't quite get out that way because the jailer probably would have killed himself had all the prisoners escaped. But they get to witness to the prisoner and there's great transformation in people around them. So it's a church that he uh, cherishes and he, he probably writes this about 10 years later. And this major theme of joy comes through the letter all the time. There's about 16 times, some would say more, whether it's joy or rejoice. He talks about it in the letter of Philippians. But <clears throat> as I've just said, the context of it it's not that his life is easy. <laughs> so the joy we're speaking about isn't this happy-go-lucky, nothing's wrong, I ignore my life around me. It's actually a deep, robust, enduring joy that if you know Jesus can be yours. You've probably heard the phrase, the joy of the Lord. Like, well, what, what does that mean? Well, it's, I think it's kind of twofold. It's number one, the joy that Jesus has in him, we get to partake in but also just the joy of knowing Jesus. And this joy, as we'll see with Paul, comes regardless of circumstances often. He's not denying that circumstances can be dreadful at times, and some of you are living through that now, and others have gone through it, and if you haven't, you probably will go through times like that in your life. But there's this deep, abiding joy. And what's happened is by the time he writes this, he's in Rome, and he's in prison again. <laughs> and he's constantly chained to a guard. That's how they kept them safe. Uh, any day he's waiting for a verdict of execution on his life. It was his dream to preach in Rome and I guess see thousands of saved. Thousands saved. And he's got to Rome by being made a prisoner elsewhere and transported to Rome. And he's waiting for a verdict. So you could say life is not as he thought it would pan out. 
Um, maybe when you became a Christian, someone told you life's going to be nice and easy. And it hasn't panned out like that. Jesus never promised that. <laughs> um, he said, in this world you will have trouble. Uh, but you could know a deep abiding peace with with Jesus. So that's kind of the context that Paul is writing from. So what I'm going to do unusually is I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's good to read the Bible sometimes, and then we'll dive in and unpack it a little bit. So you might want to follow <clears throat> with me as we read it. So this is a letter, remember, to a church community. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks. Remember the context Paul's in. In prison, life's not gone well. Note the contrast in the tone. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you're all partners with me in grace and in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, remember the context, has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment, and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Whatever, or sorry, the Bible actually said, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. <laughs> yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by... It's my eager expectation that Christ will be honored either by life or death. Verse 21. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. I don't know which I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you're engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. The tone of this letter 
is deep and robust, but full of anticipation and expectation and joy. It's totally at contrast with what we would expect from someone who's been in prison, who has suffered endlessly, and I'll talk more about Paul's suffering later. And yet he starts in verse 3 and 4 saying, I give thanks. I mean, most of us are pretty grumpy when life goes hard. Right? It's natural human right we, we get grumpy and we sulk and we become inward focused <laughs> and our joy is often dependent upon what's happening to us. But Paul says, I rejoice. <laughs> I give thanks to God. How good are you at giving thanks to God when things are not so great? So through this, hopefully we're going to go on this journey where we give you the tools and scripture comes and we get most of what we can to get to this place of, I'd say, Christian maturity is often marked by how people handle their trials. It's one of the signs of Christian maturity. In fact, the church historically has flourished when they've been under trials because it crystallizes whether Jesus is actually the center of everything or not. The church has struggled when life is comfortable. And in the West, things will get harder for Christians. Some of the beliefs that we have, some of the convictions. And we need to be ready for that. We don't need to make our lives tougher than they need to be. Praise God for our freedoms and liberties. Hallelujah. But the church thrives because Christians are forced to consider this. Is it about Jesus? Or am I using Jesus to help me out? And hopefully we can wrestle into our hearts that it's about Jesus. Some of us in the midst of trials and others before it actually comes. So the aim of this series is to journey for you to a place where there is greater contentment and peace and happiness and joy. Some people try to differentiate between happiness and joy. That happiness is superficial and joy is deeper. I get what they're trying to do. I've done it myself. I'm not sure the, the Bible differentiates it. They all come from the same root. <laughs> happiness, gladness, joy. It's talking about a deep, robust sense of life in God. I mean, we had worship this morning. Wasn't it beautiful? Now, I've been at times in my life, and certainly many years ago, when I've been in those rooms and I just think, this is weird. <laughs> Why is everyone so happy and clappy? Happy clappy. You know, that's how we do it. Um, I long for the place when we get to as a church, what we often do is the first two minutes we say, the band are not going to lead us, let's start worshipping. I long to get to the place where the band struggle to know when to start, because it's all going on already. That's a beautiful thing. One of the things about having a stripped-down band is we hear each other as well. I mean, we hear each other generally. But we think, okay, this is about Jesus. I'm going to praise him. So I want to encourage us to keep pursuing that. We will have bad days. The human nature is to complain. But you can know. And I, I just, I know some of your life situations. It's the privilege of being one of the, one of the elders. So I'm not glib about this. I've got my own story of something. But you can know deep, abiding, real joy if you're following Christ and centering your life on him. It's what everyone truly wants, isn't it? Who wants more joy? More happiness. Films are called it. The pursuit of happiness. Who's seen it? You never know in church whether I'm allowed to admit that I've seen a certain movie, are you? Has anyone seen it with Will Smith? Adverts offer it and songs delight in it. Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Do you know the song? Someone help me. Come on. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the... Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Clap along if you feel that that's what you want to do. But don't worry, I won't sing anymore. And then it goes down and says something like, uh-oh, I don't know, I can't sing it. Bring me down, 
Can't nothing bring me down. My level's too high to bring me down. Bring me down. Can nothing bring me down? The level's too high. I don't want to do this. The level's too high to bring me down. Can nothing bring me down? Well, things can bring us down, can't they? I mean, that, that, that's a nice feel-good song if your life's great. Man, things can bring us down, can't they? But things don't need to rob us of our deep abiding joy in God. And I want to look at three things that I think, it's not the only keys, I want to look at three things in chapter one of Paul's life that I think are vital keys to knowing deep and abiding joy. So look at some scriptures from chapter one, because I think the first thing is the priority in his labor. Can you say priority? I think that when you look at Paul and he thinks day to day, what he's given himself to, I think in that you begin to see a source of joy. So look at these verses. We've read them, verses 3 to 5. I give thanks because of your partnership in the gospel. I think the priority in his life is gospel advance. Can you say gospel advance? Verse 7, your partner's with me in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 12, what happened to me has actually served to advance the if you're new to church, the gospel just means good news of who God is, what he's done in Christ Jesus, who we now are, and what the future holds, and what are we to do. It's the, it's the whole story of God crystallized in what Jesus has done specifically for you on the cross to redeem you in your life. Verse 14, others have gained confidence from my imprisonment, and they dared to speak the word of God. Verse 18, whatever, what does it matter? Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. 22, if I live on... Even though I want to go and be with Jesus, I live on for your progress and joy in the faith, the gospel taking root in yourself. Verse 27, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, contending together for the faith of the... Because Paul knows exactly what he is about in this life. It's really not a mystery for the Christian, what we're about in this life. We're about the advance of the gospel to the glory of Jesus in our lives and through our lives. Now we might seek what particular lane God wants me in, but while you're working that out, you've got a broad, you've got a broad road to be running on. So whatever circumstances you find yourself in, your life is in meaningless or lost. Whatever happens to me serves to advance the gospel. So no matter what your situation, no matter how restricted or liberated you feel, there need not be a mystery the purpose of your life. How can I serve God here and now? I thought I'd be on a platform preaching to thousands in Rome. I'm in prison and I've got some guards around me, but I still know what life's about. It's about the gospel. I still know what the priority of my labor is. I mean, we get it in Genesis. It's what's called the, the creation mandate. Go forth, multiply, and subdue thee. Earth, i.e. extend Eden, <laughs> extend the rule of God into the world. And we have the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That's not a preacher's job, that's not a pastor's job, it's not a full-time church worker's job, it's a Christian's job description. Go forth and make disciples of all nations, no matter what phase of life you find yourself in. And we'll get to this, I don't want to steal my last point, but if you love God, the gospel's your priority. And you'll know what your life is about. We are all joy seekers, are we not? In fact, that's how God has made us. <laughs> We're all joy seekers, which is why we chase after things that the world offers us. Because the world offers us some things are good, some things are bad. But the devil doesn't create stuff. The devil can't create. God creates. The devil distorts and corrupts. So he takes something that's good, he lures it in front of you, and he corrupts it. And says, this will satisfy you if you do this. But you follow down that road and 
There's no ultimate satisfaction in that. We're all joy seekers. We're all chasing after it. Whether, but, but it's like investing. If it's not in Christ, if the priority is not the gospel and Jesus, it's like investing in a bank you know is going to crash. You invest in the bank of approval, in the bank of power, in the bank of sensational feeling. If you take drugs, in the bank of control, ease of life. You know, if, you, if your aim in life is for life to be easy, it will disappoint you at some point. If your investment is an identification, or I'm single and free, or I'm married and content, if they are the priority of your life, joy will be stolen from you so much along the way. Because that's what you're looking to for the source of your joy. And those things, some of them are good, some of them are great, some of them are wonderful, some of them are not. But there'll be seasons when they're there, when they're not, when they're great or otherwise. Jesus needs to be there. And so in the priority of our labor, it's the gospel. Which means every situation has meaning and purpose in you. And I think you can see this in the life of Paul, can't you? No matter what happens to him, what is bringing him joy? The advance of that? I give thanks to God because I can see what he's doing in your life. I give thanks to God that even though I'm in prison, I can sing hymns at midnight. I give, I give thanks to God whatever my circumstances. You know what? If I could choose, I wouldn't even be here. <laughs> And yet, he's bubbling over with joy. Who else doesn't want to be here in Colchester? No, don't answer that question. You all want to be here. There's all, all of us, there's parts of our lives you think, I wouldn't choose to be here in this thing. I wouldn't choose to be going through what I'm going through. But how can the gospel be advanced in this and through this? That's kind of an overarching one, because the second thing I see, I think you see in the life of Paul, which is the key to his joy, is therefore the perspective on his life. Now these first two clearly overlap. So if your priority is the advance of the gospel in terms of what we give ourselves to, then your perspective sees everything through that lens. So again, scriptures, you can see, I give thanks. I'm sure of this, that God who started a work in you will bring it on to completion. No matter what happens to me, some people are trying to make my life hard. And Paul says, what does it matter? (laughs) What does it matter? Because this is what's happening, Jesus and the gospel is being advanced. My eager expectation and hope is that when I look at my life and I think I might get executed in the coming days and weeks, because the gospel is the priority, I'm able to get on with it. The perspective of my life is very different. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Have you, have you, are you anywhere near being able to say that? Is that a perspective that we can have on our lives? Have we wrestled with that question and think, what if it all falls apart? What if my health goes downhill and I'm unable to do everything that gives me any sense of identity outside of Jesus? What if that happens? What if my kids, what if I'm always, what if... But you know, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Is it... That perspective in a world that, I mean, I think it's changed because of COVID, because I think we, we've had to face the temporariness of life more, uh, and our controllable Western easy life. We just think we'll live forever, particularly if we, you know, if we eat right, do, you know, get all the dietary stuff in. We're just going to live. No, I think we've realized that we don't. <laughs> so we have to wrestle with these questions. Is our perspective, if the gospel is a priority, we see things in context of what really, really matters. Paul, despite his circumstances being at odds, he is sure and confident that God who began a good work will bring it on to completion in other people and clearly in his own life. 
Who's lost hope? Don't answer the question. You lose hope for something you dreamed of because your circumstances tell you that it's over. Now, sometimes the dream and the hope was misplaced in the wrong place, <laughs> in the wrong place and we've got to be wise about that. But some of the things, if God said it, God will do it. What is your perspective on your life? Paul writes this elsewhere. I mean, we shared it. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So I think the key to joy is you focus on what really matters. It's kind of everything I've said so far this morning. Focus on what really matters. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, Therefore we do not lose hearts. Paul, you don't lose heart. I mean, this guy was imprisoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten on the hand by a viper. He's, uh, he's been given lashes. He's suffered stoning. He's despaired of life. And he says, therefore we don't lose heart. <laughs> Why? Because outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory which far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Light and momentary is how Paul describes his troubles. This is quite nice preaching through this because I don't have to tell you from my life experience, because you could say, Hugh, you have no idea. No, I don't. <laughs> you have no idea what ultimately we've been through. But Paul has been through this, and his perspective on what really matters means that no matter what you're going through, compared to what is to come, and the glory of God, it's light and momentary. When you focus on it, it's not light and momentary. And this is not a glib verse from someone who's not been through it. But when you focus on Christ and what is to come and the hope we have in comparison, actually, it's light and momentary and it's achieving for us. So we fix our eyes and our hopes on, on that, not on the immediate and how things are. I often get asked how I'm doing and I try to be honest, uh, maybe not just in passing in church, you know, because on the big scheme of things, I'm, I'm doing okay. But often what I'd say when things are not so great, I'd say, Things are not so great. I'll say a bit more. And then I would say this, not glibly. It's something I'm teaching my heart. I said, but Jesus is on the throne and his church is advancing. And I've tried to teach myself that. So it's not to dismiss and not to process healthily my challenges. But every time I want to focus on that, I try to say, but Jesus is on the throne and his kingdom's advancing, which is a way of teaching my heart, actually put perspective on it. Put the perspective on what really matters. Yes, I long for that. My heart breaks I long for my parents to know Jesus, my family to be back together, my kids to walk with Christ. I long for content in my singleness. I long for freedom from my wrestles of addiction. I, I long, I, and I've not done great. It's been a mess. But Jesus is on the throne, and his kingdom's an everlasting kingdom. You feel the weight of that, don't you? You think... But it's a way we wrestle in with our hearts. What we focus on really matters. And so we, another key to joy is to stop asking why and to start asking what. I'm not talking about healthy processing why because, I don't know, 50% of the trials in our life are because of our foolish decisions. <laughs> so we do need to ask why. Why did we get into this situation? Why did... but, but sometimes there's a mystery in difficulty and in suffering and hardship. And you can get stuck in the why and it robs you of intimacy and freedom and liberty and moving in. 
Sometimes we need to stop asking why. For example, the question of suffering. I don't think you get a comprehensive answer why people suffer. Ultimately. I think the question mark can get smaller as you look at scripture, but I don't think it goes away. And I've known people have got stuck on that and it's just stopped their walk with God. Stop their, and it's, it's, it's the thing that's defined them is the why. I think we need to stop asking why and we need to start asking what. What is God up to? What is God teaching me in this situation? What is God doing? Even if God didn't bring you into that situation, we won't get to the theology of it now. Even if it's your foolish decision or someone else's decision, we are convinced that God can work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So what is God doing? Some of us, we're very quick to run away from difficulty, but it's the very place God is teaching us stuff. Because we want ease of life. No, we, we want the gospel to advance in our lives. And we, most people, grow more when life is tough. We get on our knees, we cry out to God, we ask for help, we think I've got nothing to give, we're less self-reliance. I'm not saying we pursue that. I think God's purpose is that your life is always tough. But we don't, don't be so quick to run away when things are tough without asking the question, what is God doing? And so that's where some of us are right now. You think, I'm stuck in the why. I just can't. I'm not saying you ignore it and bury it. You can process it, but it's not the question. The question is, what is God doing? What is God teaching me? What is God calling me to? In the bigger picture, what is God's purpose in the earth? Like I said earlier from John 16:33, Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. Can you say peace? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. <laughs> I have overcome the world. He's on the throne and his kingdom is advancing. There will be trouble. In fact, you can know this deep sense of joy that seems to define Paul even in the midst of troubles. I mentioned some of the things earlier from Paul, but just to maybe be a bit more accurate. Five times he received the 39 lashes that almost killed Jesus. Five times. He was beaten with rods. He was pelted with stones. Three shipwrecks, spending a night and day in the open sea, bobbing around. This is what he says. You can read it in 2 Corinthians 11. Danger from rivers, bandits. He's gone without sleep. He's faced pressure from enemies and fellow believers. And he's been cold and naked, just to add to, just to the left. But his priority, gospel advance, gave him a perspective on his life where he just thinks gospel opportunity. How you suffer is a gospel opportunity. Especially in a world that is not sure what hope there is beyond the grave. How Christians suffer. And I'm youngish, I guess, <laughs> so I don't want to say this clearly, but we need to try and wrestle in the heart and think when time comes and maybe it's a sudden sickness or illness or I'm robbed of certain faculties or whatever. Saying, God, God, help me in that time as best as I can to honor you. Now, depending on what faculties we kind of start to lose, we don't have control on that, but we wrestle with that and think, my whole life is for you, Jesus. Everything I do, that might be over there. For others of us, it might be situations closer to home. Um, Romans 8, verse 28, I've mentioned it, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Do you love him? <laughs> because... You can be confident that he will work it all together for 
good, but good as he defines. There's, a, there's an African story. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit fun, so I'll tell it. But there's this African king who likes to go hunting with his, with his friend who always loads his gun. And this friend was one of those annoying, optimist kind of people. So everything he went through, everything that happened, he'll say, this is good. So can you say, this is good? So he loads the king's gun, and, and one day the, there's a misfire in the rifle, uh, and the king's thumb gets blown off. And the guy says, this is good. So the king throws him in jail, uh, you know, because blames him. And the guy says, this is good. Uh, and the king goes off hunting, and uh, he gets caught by cannibals. Um, and they're about to, I guess, eat him. I'm sorry for the camera. Uh, and then they stop because they notice his thumb's blown off, because they won't eat something that's not whole. So they release him, and he goes back, and he begins to realize, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been so harsh with my friends. So he goes to his friend and explains it, and his friend says, this is good. Um, and the king asks, why is this good? Because he said, if I was with you, <laughs> I would have been the one that was eaten. <laughs> this is good. I know that's a glib story, but it gives a perspective. You think we, we can never imagine the good that God can work out of something. I'm not suggesting God, God did that. <laughs> but I don't know if the story's real, I suspect it's not. But this is good. Now, there's been times in my life where, God, you said you would work this for good. I can't see it, but I trust you. And if I could ask God for one gift, it would be this, the foresight of hindsight. Who looks back on their life and think, wow, I thought that was the end and a disaster, but it's worked out okay. Not everything has. You think, if I, if I could know now what I'll know then, I'll navigate now very differently. But there's something in us with the promise of God, with the perspective we think, actually I can navigate now a bit better because I know God will work it together for good, even if it's beyond the grave. And all of this flows, this, this priority and this perspective, the fuel of all of it is because of the passion of Paul's life, which is Jesus. Oh, hello. Stop. Stop preaching here. There you go. Uh, <laughs> that would be the shortest preach you'll ever hear me pray. Is the passion of his life. And so he writes, doesn't he, in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me. I don't know which one I should choose. I'm so enamored by Jesus that for me, I just, I just want to go and be with him. No duplicit thoughts. No corruption in my heart. No anger. No jealousy. No striving. No ups and downs. No trying to work out and carry a responsibility. It's just gain. It's all gain to be with Jesus. I will miss, if Christ takes me early, I will miss some things and some people. But isn't he wonderful? This is what Paul is saying. You know the good old song? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth which we hold on to so much and will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
I think one of my resolutions in preaching and pastoring is I want to serve people that they are so heavenly minded that they are the most earthly good. I don't know if you've heard the joke that some people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good because, you know, just all floating in some other sphere that's not reality. I think when you're heavenly minded, you give yourself fully to know because you think, if I'm here, it must mean fruitful labor for me. It must do. Jesus loves me. He loves you. He longs to be with you. But he's here so that there's others who can come to know that. And so as we kind of come to an end, we're going to have communion in a, in, in a few minutes. And um, sometimes communion can be really sober. And that's right because we're remembering what Christ went through. But sometimes it's filled with anticipation and it hopes because scripture says we proclaim his death until he comes again so just I think there's a few things God wants to do before we do that so I just wonder if you pause now in no way critical I understand there will be a myriad of responses to what I've said others will be like this is the longing of my heart and I need this to survive others will be like your heart there's a battle and there's a heart you have no idea here I can't possibly know this. And others are like, well, I just feel so right now. I don't feel anything. I'm not asking you to necessarily feel any. You can't do that. I'm asking you to give your life to growing your affection for Jesus. Because if you do that, you will be filled with the priority of the gospel in your life. And it will change the perspective that we have on things. And so whether you call yourself a Christian or not, whether you're walking with God or you know your life is just off track or whether whatever's going on, I just want you in this moment just to be still and invite the Holy Spirit. And just get used to it with a bit of quiet and just in your own way begin to ask the Lord, just say, Lord, I long for more joy. You might say, God, if... If this is of you, I need something. I, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't feel it. I, I know church is a good thing. I come because I want my kids raised with morals, but I'm not sure there's much going on in my heart. Invite him. You think, you call me, Lord, to leave this behind and follow you, but just not. Invite him to be the passion of your heart. And as and when you're ready, just give yourself freshly to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want my life to prioritize you and the gospel. I give over everything. Everything. I trust you. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, in these moments to come and help us. And if you'll sing with me, fix your eyes upon Jesus look for his wonderful
full face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace as we as we come just to have the wafer you might just want to be ready. So this is for Christians thing. In taking communion, you're honouring the sacrifice of Jesus and you're saying, I have received you, Lord, and I live for you. So if, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or you know there's areas that you are there's there's a sense of I'm holding back from Christ. This is a bit of a sober moment in the midst of the joy. Um, you know, we don't make a mockery of this, do we? want to delight in Jesus. So Lord, as we remember your broken body, we feel broken in many ways, but we also know your wholeness. <laughs> We've sung of how you break chains, Lord, how you bring freedom, how you offer joy. We remember you, Lord, as we eat of this wafer. We think we, we want to feed on Christ, the bread of life. We want you to be our everything, Lord. We want to be tossed and Turn, Lord, we want in our pain to find comfort in you and our joy to celebrate the one who will be just as worthy of celebration tomorrow and the day after and the day after. The one who never disappoints us. We remember you, Lord Jesus. As we come to the juice and the wine, just a a moment to think uh, speaks of just how God relates to us through his blood shed on our behalf. Um, you know, he's, not, he's not in there, but he offers to be in here through the Holy Spirit.